Good and gracious God, as we come here on this snowy, kind of blustery day, we come giving thanks, giving thanks for the warmth we feel as we gather together as your family of faith, giving thanks for the sense of fellowship we experience as we greet one another and as we sing together and as we pray together and as we hear your word proclaimed together. And I pray that in a way that is far beyond my doing, that your spirit might speak to each one of us. May you be the complete focus of our attention. May you be that audience of one that we continue to worship. And may we hear a word from you today that speaks to us where we are in our individual lives. Speak to the people and the preacher alike. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. About a month ago, on my day off, Alice and I were cleaning our closets, and we're in the process of that. I, I didn't realize how many closets we have, actually. And we're trying to get rid of some of the stuff that we don't absolutely need. Absolutely is the relative word there. There was a box with some old yearbooks, and there in the middle of it was my high school scrapbook. Ah, I must admit that I spent about an hour going down memory lane. There were all kinds of press clippings and that kind of thing. I remember one, uh, for example, that was before our first football game in the fall, my senior year. Headlines, Lawrence Fullback has the mumps. Now, that wasn't a particularly fond memory, <laughs> except that I played the full game that week. Or there was a picture from the halftime ceremony from the homecoming queen and, when, and, and the homecoming uh, game and the, the other halfback was uh, uh, giving uh, her flowers and I was to give her a kiss. And I think I've told you the story how just as I went to give her a kiss, one that I've been looking forward to for a long time, um, she saw that I had blood all over my face and she turned her head in horror and that was a moment that I have not forgotten. <laughs> Most of the clippings, however, came from this kind of weather. It was in March. And they bore the dates of my junior year when my basketball team lost in the state semifinals in East Lansing. Along with the clippings of the picture were pieces of basketball nets, which we had cut down from after our district, regional, and quarterfinal victories. Since no team from our little town of 700 had ever won anything, the people were really behind us. They knew we couldn't possibly win at the next level, and so they always had a parade for us after the districts, after the regionals, after the quarterfinals. And again, it was weather like this, and so we would be out on the fire trucks running around. They had a cannon shooting it down the center. We only had one light uh, in town, and that one uh, traffic light uh, uh, usually was just on amber because there wasn't necessary anymore for anything else. But, but the people were cheering, and it was the, the sirens were blaring, and it was idyllic. Then in the semifinal game, and I can remember it and embellish it, uh, uh, as if it were, uh, it was, we were playing against Flint St. Matthew, and that evening the bubble burst, much like Butler last night. And though we had a frenetic comeback, we fell seven points short. If it had just been a little bit longer, there were tears because our, our dream wasn't realized. Amid those tears, there was another parade one that we could not believe when we saw it. We returned home late the next evening, and we saw lights that seemed to stretch for miles. It was an amazing thing. 
car after car after car welcoming us home. And we cried because we were disappointed. We realized we disappointed our loyal fans, but also with a deep sense of pride because we had gone where no other team from our town had gone. Sometimes there isn't much that separates us from cheers and tears. There certainly wasn't in Lawrence, Michigan on that weekend in March, 51 years ago. In the passage which I'm going to read, however, there was another parade which included both cheers and tears. As I complete this sermon series on the suffering servant, please follow along with me as as I read from Luke chapter 19, verses 28 through 44. Invite you to follow along in your Bibles or your pew Bibles or on the screen. Listen now for the word of the Lord. After Jesus had said this, and this was a parable that he had just spoken, he went on ahead, and this was down in Jericho, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Tell him, the Lord needs it. Those who were were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked him, why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came to the place near where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you... Even you had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. May God add his blessing, understanding, and application upon this, the reading of God's holy and inspired word. On that first Palm Sunday, there were cheers of passion as Jesus prepared to enter Jerusalem. Throughout Jesus' ministry, time and time again, he told people, to keep his identity and miracles under wraps 
because his time had not yet come. He wasn't trying to be some dog and pony show. He wasn't trying to do a media blitz. The kingdom button would be pushed too soon and the, and the religious leaders would do him in before he had a time to do the necessary on-the-job training for the disciples. But now, now the time had arrived and Jesus would be let it known at a time and place where thousands of people would be gathering into Jerusalem for that special celebration of Passover. It was a Kairos moment, which we've talked about so many times. It was a moment of fulfillment. It was kingdom standard time. For those who believed Jesus was a long-awaited Messiah, the Passover holiday would be the occasion on which he would overthrow those dreaded Romans. While that may have seemed far-fetched, I mean, it was only a little ways away at Bethany that Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. If he could do that, certainly he could overthrow the Romans. Nothing was impossible for God. Now was the time. Jesus and his entourage, made up of his disciples and others who curiously were watching his every move, had just traveled the rugged 20 miles from Jericho up to Jerusalem. Since there was a price on his head, this was a bold and courageous move for Jesus to come to the Passover. Those close to him were hoping that he would attend the festivities and set up his kingdom, and yet, realistically, they knew that it could be a time when he would meet his demise. Always in touch with God's purpose for him and wanting to accomplish it completely, Jesus was concerned about fulfilling the prophetic prediction in Zechariah 9.9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus had somehow prearranged the securing of the colt of a donkey from owners that he must have known and maybe had known for a long time. Unless you're from Missouri, donkeys are always held, where donkeys are always held in high regard, we find it amazing that Jesus would select the colt of a donkey to be his transportation in this very special parade. I mean, in the 500 festival parade, the honored people ride on the shiny pace car convertibles. In the rose parade, it's usually vintage antiques uh, and convertibles that carry the VIPs. The customs of Jesus' day were quite different. Well, often a great military leader or a king, after a military victory, would ride on some magnificent horse in a parade. But it was common practice for a king coming in peace to ride on a donkey. In fact, a donkey was considered a noble beast in those days, unlike what we think of him today. The disciples placed their cloaks on the donkey and then put Jesus on it. Then they gave him the equivalent of a red carpet treatment as they spread their cloaks on the ground before him where he would traverse. As they came to a fork in the road where there must have been the greatest numbers of disciples gathered, they began to shout, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. In other gospels, we have the words that we sang this morning. Hosanna, or save us now, Lord. 
as they wave palm branches. Can you imagine some of the people in the crowd that day? If we look really closely, I believe we might see a man named Bartimaeus. He has a smile on his face that you just can't wipe away. This is the first parade he's ever seen. He was the blind man whom Jesus had just healed on the Jericho Road. And there with his sisters, Mary and Martha, must have been Lazarus. After being dead for four days, Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. He is treated with awe as people come next to him. And not far from Lazarus is Zacchaeus, the little tax collector whom Jesus called down from a tree. He's now a philanthropist, giving a large portion of his wealth to the poor and needy. The look of serenity and joy etched on his face where once there was a harsh look is a wonderful sight. Several rows back in the crowd, kind of nestled among the religious leaders, is Nicodemus. He's almost incognito. He has celebrity status, but doesn't want to be recognized. Instead of scowling at Jesus like the other paranoid colleagues, it's almost as if Nicodemus wants to join the crowd in cheering the one who's coming as the king of peace. Among the common people who are cheering are those who are there out of sheer curiosity. They know that this could be a history-making event, and certainly they would not want to miss it. And sprinkled through the crowd are those people who believe wholeheartedly that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. The moment has arrived for him to overthrow the Romans and to set up the kingdom he has been heralding for the last three years. But there's one very noticeable group. There are no cheers coming from their mouths. No, at one point they even put a halt to the parade and say, Teacher! Rebuke your disciples. In their minds, this troubling spectacle was pure blasphemy. It felt to them like the whole world was going after Jesus. They had to stop him, no matter what the cost. Jesus' response to those misguided religious leaders was, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the very stones, and they, he must have pointed toward the rocks that are all around them there, would be crying out. In other words, the time has arrived. Nothing will stop what is about to happen. Do you hear the cheers reverberating through the halls of time? Of all the parades of human history, this very well may have been the most significant, serving as an introduction, a prologue, a prelude to the greatest most momentous event that ever took place in human history. But wait a moment. In the midst of the cheers, if we look closely, we see a vivid contrast. On that first Palm Sunday, there were tears of compassion as Jesus realized he would be rejected. As the jubilant crowd moved slowly down the hill called the Mount of Olives with Jerusalem and the temple in full sight, and I've been there and have seen it, and you can see it so well. There were tears of compassion streaming down Jesus' face. 
Well, some might have thought that they were tears of joy and, and relief in the midst of all of the celebration. If you look very closely at him, at his very expressive eyes, clearly they are tears of sadness, tears of grief. While the din of the spirited crowd drown out his words for most, only a few can hear him. It was at this point that Jesus spoke to Jerusalem, bustling with Passover pilgrims. If you, even you, had known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. The supreme irony of it all is that some of those same people who were cheering amid Jesus' tears in a few short days would be crying, crucify him, crucify him, on the Friday before the Passover Sabbath. The fickle tide of public opinion would turn against him, bringing Jesus to another parade, a grisly parade, which would wind its way through the narrow streets of Jerusalem and out to the hill of Golgotha, the place of execution. The same people whom Jesus had come to save as God's chosen people would utterly, utterly reject him to the point of crucifying him. How deep his anguish must have been as he looked on the holy city with tears streaming down his cheeks. Sadly, Jesus' tears in the midst of that parade were portents for what was to come. For you see, just 40 years later, in 70 AD, the Romans laid siege around Jerusalem, completely surrounding it, which was a common military strategy in those days. Cutting off all supplies, the results were horrific as men, women, and children starved to death. There was little resistance when finally the ruthless Romans came in and completely destroyed the city. That's what Jesus foresaw when he shed tears for Jerusalem on that first Palm Sunday. On this cold, blustery Sunday when the snow's flying, it's Palm Sunday once again. Through the years on this Sunday before Easter, I've always pictured Jesus coming through the doors in the center of the aisle and then coming down the aisle. I picture him riding on the colt of a donkey into our midst. He looks anything but regal. In fact, in some ways he looks humorous to our way of thinking as his feet are dragging on our carpet. I might say several years ago at Southport Presbyterian, we actually did find a donkey that would come and we had a person in the worship service who was going to ride in on him. We were most concerned about the fact that we might need a pooper scooper to go after him, uh, and, but that was not a problem. But the, the simple little beast did not uh, cooperate. As long as the rider was mounted on him, he would not be moved. And so it wasn't quite as we pictured it. 
With all that said, once again, imagine with me that Jesus, the one we've called the suffering servant, rides down our center aisle today. And in a way that is only proper, we throw our coats and, and, and scarves or whatever before him and give him the red carpet treatment. We shout, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And as we cheer the one who came as the Savior and Lord, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, in a way that only he can do, his eyes meet each one of ours at the same time. What is his response to you and to me? Are there cheers or tears? Does he see you crown him? Or if the truth be known, by your actions, by your thoughts, by your lives, do you crucify him? Maybe we are a lot like people in the crowd that first Palm Sunday. Maybe he has healed some of us like Bartimaeus in your cheering gratitude for a new lease on life. Maybe you're like Lazarus and you're cheering because this Jesus has completely transformed your life. It feels like he's brought you back from the dead and he's given you a glorious new beginning. Possibly you feel like Zacchaeus and you are cheering because Jesus has completely changed your priorities in life. There's no question that this change is for the better. If you see yourselves in these people, I believe Jesus' eyes are filled with affirmation and gratitude for the difference God has brought in you. Or could it be that you're like Nicodemus? You are studying Jesus closely and you're weighing your options. You are still undecided as to whether you will receive him as the Lord of your life. You may be concerned about the changes he would make, that your life would be out of control. In a general sense, you may be like the curious who are here today, seriously looking for something more in life. Could this Jesus bring the very positive changes others have claimed? Can he possibly bring forgiveness from your past no matter how good or how bad you've been? Is it possible that he could bring peace in the midst of your anxiety and worry? Could it be that he would bring joy and meaning to what could be a rather stale, routine, bland existence? Can Jesus help you with the fear and the sense of dis-ease as you think about the future, making you genuinely hopeful? If you were like Nicodemus or the curious, Jesus meets you today with yes eyes, inviting you to come to him and crown him as the king of your life. By that we mean receiving God's gift of Jesus, simply praying for forgiveness and asking Jesus to become the master, the savior of your life. Or could it be like Luke's account of that first Palm Sunday, as Jesus looks at you, there are tears of compassion. He gave his life for you on a cruel cross, but for all kinds of reasons, you've rejected him. Might he say to you, if you, even you, had only known of this day that would bring you peace. If he looks at you through eyes of tears today, that can change. 
as it undoubtedly did for some of those who were in Jerusalem before it fell in 70 AD. By humbly coming to Jesus, making him your Savior and Lord, you can turn his tears into cheers. As we think about what this Jesus wants to do in each of our lives, as well as in the life of this church, let me close with this wonderful story from pastor and author Max Lucado from his book, When God Whispers Your Name. I quote, My wife loves antiques. I could relate to that. I don't. I could relate to that. I find them a bit old. But because I love my wife, I occasionally find myself guiding three children through an antique store while Denelin shops. Such is the price of love. The secret to survival in a shop of relics is to find a chair and an old book and settle down for the long haul. That's what I did yesterday. After cautioning the kids to look with your eyes and not their hands, I sat down in an overstuffed rocker with some Life magazines from the 50s. That's when I heard the music. Piano music. Beautiful music. Vintage, Rodgers and Hammerstein. The hills were alive with the sound of someone's skill at the keyboard. I turned to see who was playing, but couldn't see anyone. I stood and walked closer. A small group of listeners had gathered at the old upright piano. Between the furniture, I could see the small back of the pianist. Why, it's only a child. With a few more steps, I could see her hair, short, blonde, and cute like my heart. It's Andrea. Our seven-year-old was at the piano, her hands racing up and down the keyboard. I was stunned. What a gift of heaven that she can play in such a way. Must be a time-release gene she got from my side of the family. <laughs> but as I drew closer, I saw the reason. Andrea was playing a player piano. She wasn't making the music. She was following it. She wasn't commanding the keyboard. She was trying to keep up with it. Though it appeared that she was playing the song, in reality, she was only trying to keep up with the one already written. When a key would dip, her hand would dash. Oh, but you should have seen the look on her little face, delighted with laughter. Eyes were dancing, as would her feet if she could have stood and played at the same time. I could see why she was so happy. She had sat down to play chopsticks, but instead she played the sound of music. What's more, she couldn't fail. One greater than she was dictating the sound. Andrea was free to play as much as she wanted, knowing that the music would never suffer. Oh, dear friends, for us as individuals as well as us as a church, Jesus rides down our center aisle today, and he wants to play the kingdom tune in your life and mine. As the ever-moving parade of life moves on for each one of us, as Jesus plays his kingdom tune through us, he wants to change tears into cheers with people all around us.
He wants to use us to make his music known to the world around us. Can he count on you? Can he count on us? Let us pray. God, I'm grateful for this opportunity today for us to share together. And I'm grateful for this wonderful, wonderful story that we talk about each time on this Sunday. And I'm grateful for the way that even though we've heard it, in some cases, dozens of times, that it still speaks to us today. We realize that your spirit, who is indwelling us, and who wants to fill us as a church, wants to use this story in a new and a fresh way to help us be all that you've called us to be. God, I pray for each person here. And if there are people here who have never come to the point of stepping out of the shadows like Nicodemus would do in only a few short days, give them the courage to do so, to become your followers. If there are those today who are discouraged and distraught, give them courage. Give them hope as they think about what you can do and want to do in their lives. And God, I pray that in a wonderful way, that from this corner, the corner of 116th and Michigan Road, that there might be music played, music that would draw in people around, that would meet the needs of people in this community, in this part of the city, in our state, and even in our world. May it be the music of the kingdom, the music that only you can play through us. I pray these things in the name of Jesus the Christ, the save, our Savior and Lord. Amen.